Welcome back to another episode of the Preschool Pioneers Podcast, where we discuss why Christians should become teachers, give practical advice to help Christian teachers and owner-operators, and share services and products to help Christian teachers and schools produce a truly educated child and services worth supporting. I am your host, Reverend Jeremy Walker, and on this episode, we're going to be discussing what is the source of comfort and education? We're going to discuss how to deal with facility and program inspections and also be introducing one of our materials and resources about, of course, how Christians can start their own school and the reasons and purposes behind that. So to get us started, we'd like to begin by pointing out how you can find this podcast, its uh, various podcast episodes, and connect with us on social media. First of all, our website is CR101radio.com forward slash preschool pioneers and uh, Facebook, facebook.com forward slash preschool pioneers podcast, Twitter at twitter.com forward slash pioneers podcast, and even on Instagram at instagram.com forward slash CR101radio. Now, not only can you do that, you can also subscribe to us as well. We're on all the different podcast feeds, iTunes, you can uh, subscribe on Android, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Acast, TuneIn, Pocket Cast, Breaker, Stitcher, and soon-to-be iHeartRadio. Well, thank you for joining us today on Preschool Pioneers. Our first topic and section we want to discuss is the most important one and the biggest one for us, why Christians should become teachers. And the reason for that is many facets and the importance of it. So on this podcast, we like to discuss that and try to convince people that becoming a Christian teacher as a Christian is a worthwhile thing to do, a beneficial thing to do, and also something that we should be looking into. To start with, we're going to begin with Psalms 119.73. Quote, Thy hands have made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn thy commandments. Because what we're going to be discussing today goes along with this right here. What is our source of comfort? What is it that makes us feel comfortable and makes us feel safe? Now, that's a very big topic, and lots of different people have lots of different ideas about it and how it works. But we're going to begin by going over some of the basics I think everybody can relate to and then also we're going to be getting into some of the scriptural references for this. Because people have different views on it, but especially right now, we're still in March uh, 2020. And here we still have the coronavirus, still a threat all over the media. Nobody can do anything but talk about that at the moment. And so what we're going to be doing is discussing this concept of comfort, uh, not just in relation to like the coronavirus and things, but in general. What makes us feel comfortable? And also the source of education, where does that come from? And so we're going to go ahead and begin here discussing, first of all, what are some things that do give us comfort? Well, as first of all, if you're a child, uh, we're talking about preschools, starting schools. Children, uh, their primary source of comfort is their parents. 
Um, if you are a parent, you are the primary source of comfort to your child. When there's a problem, they're going to come running to you. My children do that to me all the time. If they get scared for watching a movie and something uh, disquiets them, makes them uncomfortable, there they run in to see us and to hold on to us and find comfort with their parent. You also have uh, husbands and wives. They find comfort typically in each other. At least they should. Uh, they find the comfort there. Um, husbands in particular. I'm a husband with my wife. who have been married 20 years now. Have 11 children. And so I can truly say that my source of comfort on a daily basis is being able to be with my wife. And when you come home, it doesn't matter what happens throughout the day. It doesn't matter what kind of problems you had or who gave you a hard time or what kind of difficulties you're going through. But as long as that husband and wife bond is there, um, for me, and I think I speak for most men, that is a severe form of comfort to know that your wife is there with you, supporting you, uh, working alongside you, or just there with you to talk to when you're going through tough times or stressed. And similar uh, for a wife, a husband is her source of comfort as well. Um, if she is disquieted, he's there to protect her. His job is primarily to support her and to make sure all of her needs are met. And so for a, a wife, the husband most certainly is a primary source of comfort as well um, for her. It goes further into that to the family because whenever you have your family together, the husband and wife have their children are with them, feel very comfortable. Kind of like me when my family split up, my kids are off different places. Uh, I'm not as comfortable as they're when they're with me. Uh, and uh, you have also extended family. Well, your source of extended family can be a source of comfort for you as well because there's lots of people who don't have extended family. Maybe they moved away. And I meet a lot of people at our schools like this who don't have a support structure. Uh, if they have a problem, there's nobody to help them watch their kids if they get sick and all kinds of other things that go in between. So the family itself, an extended family, is a very big source of comfort for many. There's also the community, like when you have, uh, can depend on the fire department or the police department, EMTs, if you have, a, have had a problem before, if you've ever had a real medical problem and you've been able to pick up that phone and dial 911 and get EMTs to come to you uh, for help, that's a giant source of comfort. And like me, my wife has had 11 children now, and I can really tell you that a source of comfort for me was midwives, um, not having to deliver those children on my own. And people might use the doctors or otherwise, but I'll tell you this much, uh, that is a severe source of comfort when my wife is getting close to delivery, picking up that phone and calling them, knowing there's a midwife on the other end of that phone they could possibly get there in time. That was a giant source of comfort for me. But these are some general ones. But what happens, however, uh, when all these things are, when there's a problem that is outside the abilities of all these things to provide comfort for you? Kind of like whenever you have a husband and wife, but maybe you have a a, a child who has a problem or a death. Um, what happens when there are natural disasters? What happens when there's a threat of disease like the coronavirus? What happens when there's just death itself? You're getting older, having to come to grips with the knowledge of death or that you could, can and will be dying. You just don't know when or how. And then, of course, there's other things like war, terrorism, and all the other things that happen on, on the news stations and all the rest. So there's lots of reasons for people to be uncomfortable. We have certain sources of comfort. We've gone over that. But I'd like to go over a couple things that I think are important to really focus on where our comfort comes from. 
Now, as growing up as a, a child, I remember going to a funeral home, and I'd been to quite a number of funerals and uh, burials in my lifetime, and uh, friends, family, whatnot. And I, I remember go walking into the funeral home, and we're in the waiting room outside. And there on the coffee table, there's a Bible, and it's it's open. And in there, it's it's got a little bookmark in there, and Psalms 23 is right there on the front of it, and it's it's wide open. And as a child, I didn't quite understand why this was there, and, and I didn't really pay attention to it except for making note in my mind that uh, it was 20, Psalms 23 was there. And I remember asking my parents, I said, why do they have this here? And they said, well, it brings comfort to people, brings comfort. And so at the time, I didn't understand it. But now that I'm older, I have a family of my own, uh, a wife, children, I run schools. We even have in our schools, we teach Bible time twice a day. And the 23rd Psalm is actually something that we have a recitation of um, there at the school for for Bible time. So I'm going to go through that real quick if you're not familiar with it, uh, discussing our source of comfort. And I think this is very important. So Psalms 23, it's only six verses. So here we go. Quote, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Unquote. Now, Psalm 23 is one of those classic passages. Most people have heard of it or might be able to quote it. But it goes along with what we're talking about here when our original Psalms 119.73, where it said, Thy hands have made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn thy commandments. Now, Psalms 23, when you break it down, is very simple. It's the comfort that God is a shepherd, that you're not alone. Whenever we teach children that God has made them and fashioned them, automatically we're, we're giving them comfort. They're not alone in the world. The world is not a place of chaos. The world is not a place that is out of control. There is the potentiality for comfort. If somebody might um, utilize that or not, that is a different question. But the comfort is there that you are not alone. It can also be a source of disquiet, I guess, for those people who are in complete rebellion against God, to know that God is there, to know that God is personal, and that is always watching, that can be a thing of disquiet. But for those people who understand it to be a thing of comfort, uh, this is a different story. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. I don't know if you've ever been stressed before. I know I have. And I found a source of comfort to know that I am not alone in the world. To know that God cares about each and every single person, and not just in a broad spectrum, but the personal needs of each and every single person. We're going to get into that a little bit as well. But that's an extremely source of comfort that restores you. It can heal you. Um, the modern humanist has psychology, which attempts to look inside for comfort, or to look at society for comfort, and you're just okay, you're normal. 
But for us, we don't look inside for comfort. We look outside of ourselves for comfort because there is someone out there personally paying attention to what's going on. Now, the rest of it goes through walking through the shadow of death. You don't have to fear evil. In other words, when you're going through the toughest of times, if you're facing uh, problems and perils at work or on a personal level, uh, trials and tests, uh, you're not alone. You have the comfort that someone is there with you uh, every step of the way and knows what you're going through. Then it goes into, it says here, that the rod and staff comfort him. The rod and the staff are the shepherd's tools of trade. They're what they use to lead and guide and also to protect um, their flocks. And so God is saying as a comforter, he leads and guides us and also protects us as well. And it doesn't matter what trial or, or problem you're going through, but that right there is a giant source of comfort, especially in times of, of need, in times of doubt, and in times of stress when we don't understand what's going on. Or like during the coronavirus here, there's a lot of scare going on. But we can live in a world that says it's not out of control. It might seem random at times because we just don't understand it, but it's not random, and we can take comfort in that. And then, of course, uh, it goes into here, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I would dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There's also comfort not just in the here and now. See, he's going to have uh, goodness and mercy follow him all of his days. And that's us. We can have comfort as we are obeying God that we have the mercies of God. The Bible is full of that, discussing the concept of God's mercies because we are not perfect people and we are going to make mistakes. But God is a merciful God. And he is going to help us all along the way. And people ask us, well, is it, what kind of uh, guidance is there? And I'm going to touch on that in a second about that type of guidance um, because that goes into the educational aspect. Of what, where, what is our source of education? And a source of education also comes from the same thing, from the Creator. But the last part, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This means that there's comfort beyond this life. Um, and also comfort that even the terrible things that happen to you, the terrible things that you don't understand, still perfectly under control, uh, not out of control for even one second. And there is a plan that even though you don't understand it, I've used the story of Job before, he lost 10 children, his uh, property, his health, and even his wife turned on him. But uh, in the middle of all that, he had trust that he would see God face to face in the flesh. In other words, he knew then the concept and the doctrine of the resurrection, that this life is not the only life that we are going to have. And that brought him comfort, even in the midst of a horrible tragedy and trials that he was going through, and it helped him get through it. But we do have hope in life after this. And that could be a great comfort to people. And it can also be a great uh, disquiet to people because if you are a rebel against God, uh, then you're not going to be living in the house of the Lord forever. Judgment is coming. And that's what the Bible teaches. And so it's a source of comfort to the vast majority of people. Uh, but those that are in rebellion against God, it should not be a source of comfort um, because it is a warning and uh, there is judgment coming for us all. Either you're covered by Christ, or you will meet God as the judge face-to-face uh, -face eventually. But comfort is what it should be to the vast majority of us. And it goes so far later on. I don't have time to discuss all this, but in Matthew 10, 
of Jesus talking to people about not being concerned about people that can kill the body, but Christ who can uh, kill the soul. In other words, you should have comfort that God is in control and not be afraid of men. And this is just the general fear that people have generally with people. And then it says here that your hairs and your heads are numbered, and that a bird doesn't fall to the ground and die without him knowing. It's a very personal God, one that should bring comfort to you because everything is taken into account. Now, as far as education is concerned, uh, that aspect of it, I do want to touch on two different things uh, about that, but mostly I think I'll just stop in Proverbs 1 for time. And Proverbs talks about this. I'm just going to quote it real quick and explain to you about where our source of education comes from. Because what education means is a person who grows up and is able to live successfully in the world, uh, live a life that is prosperous and a life that is able to help themselves, help their family, and help others. And uh, it doesn't mean academics. It means that's not education in and of itself. Uh, education, reading, writing, arithmetic is very important, but that is not the true definition of education. The true definition of education is a person who is uh, raised to adulthood, who is able, able to successfully navigate and uh, prosper in this world um, successfully. So Proverbs 1, I'm going to quote that, uh, 20 through 31. I think it has some things in it that I don't think most people have paid attention to. Because God is comforting, but at the same time, he is a disquiet to people who refuse to listen. And so let's go through this real quick. Proverbs 1, 20 through uh, 31. Quote, Wisdom crieth without. She uttereth her voice in the streets. She crieth in the chief place of concourse, in the openings of the gate. In the sea, uh, city she uttereth her words, saying, How long, ye simple ones, will ye love simplicity? And the scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit upon you, and I will make known my words unto you. Because I have called, and ye refused. I have stretched out my hand, and no man regarded. But ye have set it not all my counsel, and would none of my reproof. I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation, and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they will not find me. For they that hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, they would none of my counsel, they despised all of my reproof. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices." Now, this is important, unquote, because it talks about both things. It talks about the educational aspect of it, uh, the comfort side of it, uh, but it also discusses what happens if you decide to turn on that and not listen. As I said before, comfort has two sides of it. God being in complete control and giving us his commandments gives most people, godly people, comfort. It gives the other people a warning of what to happen. Impending judgment is coming. And uh, for the afterlife, they're going to have problems now. And here you have wisdom. Wisdom in the Bible is described as Christ, God himself, and saying, I am not being quiet. I'm in the streets shouting and yelling and asking you to come in and to listen and to learn from me. I want to teach you. I want to educate you. I want you to be able to succeed in this life. I want your children 
to succeed in this life. I want you to prosper now and in eternity. But you decided not to listen. So when was the last time you heard that God is going to laugh at people whenever their calamity comes? When was the last time you heard that God is going to mock someone when their fears come upon them? When they fear their desolation and destruction comes upon them, he's not even going to listen to them. He says here that when you call on me in the early hours, I'm not going to listen to you. I tried to teach you. I tried to tell you what to do. I tried to help you, and you decided not to listen. So, basically God says, I'm going to try to uh, teach you. I'm going to attempt to educate you. I'm going to attempt to edify you. But when you decide not to listen to me, you are on your own. You will get exactly what you wanted. You will reap what you sow. This is something we should be teaching our children. This is one of the reasons why Christians should become teachers right here. Because it gives us comfort to understand and be taught that there is a God who is in complete control of all things. It gives us comfort to know that the same God, that our Creator, did not leave us alone but has purposely, deliberately revealed himself to us and is attempting to teach us and to educate us so we can prosper here and in the life to come. But it's also a warning. If you decide to not listen to him, if you decide to attempt to live in the imagination that you are a product of chaos and time, like evolution, if you attempt to live in the world on your own terms, outside of his instruction, his education, and, of course, his advice, then that's what you're going to get. You're going to get left alone. And then your calamity, your horror, your terror, your destruction is going to come upon you. And then God says, don't come looking at me. Don't come talking to me now that you're having problems. Seek me early, the Bible says about him, while I may be found. So, Christians should become teachers because the world needs the comfort of knowing that they are not alone. Then They need the comfort of knowing that when all things look chaotic and out of control, that there is a personal God in heaven that is everything perfectly and completely under control. And mankind is not alone in this world. He is not left to himself to figure out how to live successfully in this world and how to prosper. But God has revealed himself to mankind and begs them as wisdom, to come to him and learn how to be blessed and to succeed in this life and the next. And that's why Christians should become teachers, and that's what I have for this section of this episode. Now, there are a couple of things I want to point out that we still partner with, Rush Journey Radio. It's rushjourneyradio.org. Uh, check into that. I think it'll be very edifying for you. I utilize it on a weekly basis, uh, lectures and sermons and audiobooks. You can also check out our 24-hour uh, internet radio station at cr101radio.com. You can also download the app to your phone or listen online. And uh, we also produce another podcast, which also I host, called Reform, Reproduce, Reconstruct, where we discuss uh, theology. We discuss, which of course is what we should uh, know and learn. We discuss the family and reproduction, and we discuss um, how Christianity is supposed to affect the world and what we can do to make the world a more Christian, better place to live. So check those things out if you get time. But this next section is our Preschool Pioneers Field Guide, where we sit down and discuss with people, uh, Christian teachers, owners, and operators, about how better to do their jobs, 
things to do, things to avoid. So today we're going to be discussing dealing with facility and program inspections because this is a huge one. If you are a teacher, if you are a owner-operator, you're going to have inspections of all sorts. And so we're going to be discussing a little bit uh, things that are general inspection things, but you're going to have inspections for a health department that has to do with like your kitchen and your school-age children, uh, how you handle food and all the rest. You have fire department inspections, which covers overall building safety, fire alarms, sprinkler systems, fire drill maintenance, emergency preparedness plans. You're going to be having accreditation inspections for regulation and policy compliance, ratio cleanliness, building maintenance and cleanliness, teacher interactions, and student and teacher files, which are all very, very important stuff and more. And also, if you're part of a food program, uh, you'll be having inspections about cooking procedures, plating and delivery, food temps, uh, your equipment and your fridge temperatures, and all kinds of stuff in between. There's a thousand different types of things that goes into running and operating a school. So when somebody likes the idea of saying, oh, I want to run a school, most of the time they don't know what they're talking about because it's a lot larger area of information that you have to know and navigate in order to do something successfully. And so that's what the Preschool Pioneers Field Guide is about. So I got nine things that I want to go over, nine things we were going to go over. And uh, the first one is inspectors must present proper identification. Now, you'd be surprised whenever there is an inspection of sorts that some people will attempt to come into your facility without proper identification. That is a big no-no. No proper identification, no access to the facility. And that leads us into number two. Do not speak or give information to anyone that cannot properly identify themselves. Uh, if you're a facility, there's no telling the number of reasons and ways people might try to gain access to your facility, uh, custody cases and otherwise. Uh, but if they're not a customer, if they're not a parent, uh, then if they're an inspector and they can't properly identify, uh, show them the door until they can come back with proper identification. Safety first. Number three, request a business card or write down inspector's information so they can be contacted if there are any questions in the future. I can't tell you how many times as a supervisor for our locations here in Southwest Florida that uh, people fail to get this part. Uh, you'll talk to somebody, say, well, somebody came in to talk to me uh, and then I have to get in touch with them. So I'll say, so, well, where's the information for that? Well, I didn't get it. You have to get the information at the front, make it a point to do, and you will never, if you have a question later on for the inspector, you'll have in a way to contact them. Okay, number four, have the inspector sign in with their name and the purpose of visit. It's just good to have a security log. You should be doing this already for anybody who's not a normal uh, visitor, somebody who picks stuff up, things like that, even for like people who are just visiting as a potential client, they should have a sign-in sheet there at the desk, uh, what you should have, and you should also use this for inspections and otherwise as well. Um, number five, escort all inspectors throughout their entire visit. Never leave somebody alone. Uh, first of all, this person might be an inspector, but they don't work for you, and anything that they do in your facility will be your fault, and that is a primary responsibility for anybody who operates a facility. Uh, you're primarily responsible for the safety of every person. Now, anybody who is an inspector may have gone through certain background checks and things like that, um, but it doesn't mean that uh, they are just able to do whatever they want to go wherever they want in a child care facility. And so you want to make sure that you are the one who escorts them the entire time, and so that way you can make sure they comply with all regulations at all times. Uh, next part is um, discuss all deficiencies, if any, at the time of an inspection so that they can be properly understood and corrected properly. 
This is very important uh, to do. This is one of the reasons why you escort inspectors because as you're getting marked off for something, if there is a deficiency, you can ask questions about it. Well, what do you want me to do exactly? How should I do it? How long do I have to do it? Whatever it might be. But at that time, it's very important that you know what the problem is. So on a piece of paper, it might just say something, but not always, always the time does it always be very descriptive about what you need to do. Sometimes it's just a little comment. So when you're there, it helps you understand that. Also, and uh, this doesn't happen often, but there are times where I've had inspectors over 20 years and there's lots of different people here, but they'll write you up for something. And you're like, but that's not actually the case. You want also to keep people honest. Just because somebody's inspector does not always mean that they're doing their job 100% perfectly. And so it's also very good to keep people honest by being there with them. Okay, next one is uh, number seven. Discuss deadlines for corrections as needed and ensure that you are writing these deadlines down, put them on a calendar or whatever. These things are very important. Inspections are overly important for a facility, and you want to make sure that you handle everything promptly and that you know what your timelines are to deal with all things and talk to the inspectors about them. Number eight, make any and all corrections. Inform the inspector and request a reinspection if needed. And so this is obviously very important. You want to stay on top of these things. You want to make sure that you're doing your job properly, and uh, you want to have good communication with your inspectors and good relationships with them uh, as they help you stay in compliance with all regulations necessary. And number nine, keep a physical or a digital copy of all inspections. Uh, you, we use Google Drive for our facilities, um, so we're able to store everything digitally. We also have physical copies of some of these things, um, like fire inspections. A fire inspector would like to see a, di a physical copy of your fire inspection, a physical co uh, copy of like fire alarms or sprinkler inspections. Health department, you should have those posted up in your office, in your kitchen areas so that they're posted as well. Most likely your accreditation companies and things will also request potentially physical copies to be posted around or available. But you want to have also a digital copy so that way if for some reason your physical copy gets lost or destroyed, you just print a new one. But it's also very important to do all these things. But this is the Preschool Pioneers Field Guide for Dealing with Faculty, or sorry, Facility and Program Inspections. And lastly, of course, if you know what your regulations are, you don't have to worry about inspections. You don't have to worry about getting stressed about an inspection because inspections are normal for you. You can just do them quickly, and it's not a problem. Uh, if you do have an error that happened, no big deal. I actually had somebody one time from the health department came in and told me, said, hey, Jeremy, we're going to have to find some kind of deficiency because they want us to find something. Because if we walk in and there's no deficiencies of any sorts, they're going to think that there's something weird. And it's true. No one always follows every single guideline and regulation every single time. It's almost impossible to do so in general because a lot of the regulations are even unknown to you. But it's not a big deal. Let the inspectors do their job, uh, help and facilitate any compliance issues that you need. And then, of course, in future, just make that part of your policy as you learn new rules and regulations as that you're being told this by the inspector put that in your uh, book of things to do and make it part of your normal procedures in order to do it okay uh, moving on i also want to point out our book giveaways that we do we started mentioning this already but at cr101radio.com you can click on a book giveaway at the top of our menu and there we give away books for free uh, twice a month and free stuff so if you want to look into that we like to give a good theological background, as we do with part of our preschool pioneers, explaining why Christians should become teachers. And that's the base doctrines and things like that. And so we like to give away books that we think can facilitate that and help you understand um, the Christian theology itself, the Christian life, and how that applies to running schools. You can also sign up for our bi-monthly um, email update, 
which gives you any podcasts that you might have missed, any sermons and lectures that are brand new that we are promoting, uh, book giveaways that we're doing, any content and information that you might be interested in. But we only do it twice a month, so we're not going to spam you with stuff. But if you're interested, go to cr101radio.com, scroll to the bottom, and you can sign up for our uh, email list. And going to our third section here, I won't take but a brief minute here to discuss it. Uh, really just a promotion of a book. And it's this book right here, which is How to Become a Millionaire in Christian Education. I know that the uh, title of that book sounds a little bit strange to most. Uh, we do advertise this book on our website at gcsapprenticeship.com. And we get a lot of people who, who kind of balk, uh, balk at that, um, that concept, How to Become a Millionaire in Christian Education, because it kind of triggers your attention. And it's meant to. It's not really, the book itself is not meant uh, to try to promote the idea that it's a prosperity doctrine or that every single person can become a millionaire in Christian education or that they should even attempt to do so. Um, but instead, uh, on the back of the book and inside the book, it talks about a couple things. Uh, first thing is how to build your own school from scratch and become financially independent at the same time. So this is one of the main focuses here is that the concept that uh, individuals can start a school, which is kind of what we promote here, of course, starting and owning and operating your own school. And this book kind of goes into the background on um, the importance of that, why you should think about it, and those types of things. Another part here on the back of the book says, how to leave an inheritance to your children's children while gaining an inheritance that fadeth not away in heaven. In other words, uh, to take care of a family takes money. And money is something that you have to work for and be able to produce. And so if you run a successful school, you can provide for your family and at the same time be able to save up for your children as you're able to do so as well. And the main focus, of course, of this book, same as Preschool Pioneers, is that we are not just working today, but working towards reward also in the second life to come in heaven as well. And then, of course, here, next part is how to oppose entrenched evil in the world without resorting to politics and guns. In other words, you're not going to change the world from the top down. And you're also not revolutionaries, so we're not out there asking for people to revolt and take to the streets. Uh, we're more reformers. Reforming is education, grassroots, bottom-up uh, level of types of things. And so that's what this book is all about. And so if you're interested in learning more about it, um, you can check it out on our uh, website, um, which is gcsapprenticeship.com, which is our primary sponsor. And uh, you can find out, uh, you can go to materials, and you can scroll down to the book. There's also other materials on there, but this is the one we're going to highlight for today. So, uh, as I mentioned before, the GCS Apprenticeship Program is the primary sponsor of this podcast. You can find their website at gcsapprenticeship.com. And the main thrust of that is the same as our thrust here, which, of course, is to promote Christian teachers and owner-operators to get out there and to get equipped uh, and to get involved. So we want to make sure that you can do that. And so check out the other materials that are there besides just... This book uh, is just one of many. Preschool in a Box is there. College Can Begin at Two Curriculum is there. Operations Manual Reading Programs are there. Uh, there's another book called A Full Reward by Reverend Aaron Slack. And lots of other materials as well on there. So check all that out when you get time. But we do want to thank everybody for joining us again here on Preschool Pioneers. I do thank you for the time that you gave me to listen to us. And we hope that this has inspired you at some point or maybe you can share it with somebody else that is interested in Christian education so that they can uh, get inspired, get equipped, and uh, get involved. So this is Jeremy Walker for Preschool Pioneers, signing off.